Okay, is that better? Oh, thank you. Okay. Right. Um, I'm going to talk to you this morning about compassion in chaos. That's the title of the talk. Um, Over Christmas, I was given a book by some friends of mine called The Victor. Now, this is really a children's book, um, a children's retelling of the gospel. But it was a good way for me to just get a new glimpse at some of the stories of Jesus and a new way of looking, particularly at this story that's in Mark 4, 41. And as I was thinking, Lisa asked me a couple of weeks ago to do a talk today, and as I was thinking about it, and I go for a walk in the woods every day, and as I was walking around the woods, I just had this story coming back into my head, um, this story of Jesus and what he did with this man this man in chaos. So I love a good story. I love a good film where you can just sink into the sofa and watch how the hero gets to grips with the complicated plot lines. And I love watching character development. I did history and literature A-level. I love to watch that going on, the twists and turns and the themes. And this story has really gripped my imagination and held it captive for a few weeks now. And the themes have played on my mind because there's a surprising twist to the events. And we get to see the reckless love of Jesus displayed through this story. And Mark seems to be telling a story to me of two storms. Now, Phil read out um, about the second storm, which is the storm with the man who's in chaos. But I'm just going to backtrack a little bit, and we're going to look at the first storm, which is... The storm on the lake. So Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and they were coming across the lake. And as they were coming over the lake, a furious squall blew up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm watching a film with a hero, I don't really like to see the hero asleep in the boat when I want the hero to be active and up at the front of the boat, really showing us the way. And so this hero was sleeping in the boat, and his disciples got up and they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They saw this storm brewing, this huge meteorological storm, and they were terrified, and their leader, their hero, was asleep in the boat. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now I wonder, reading that story, whether Jesus was asleep in the boat preparing for the second storm that was on the other side of the lake. That to him, the meteorological storm was not as huge as the battle for the human heart, which is what happens as soon as he steps out onto the shore and propelling down the hill is the second storm in the guise of this man in complete chaos. And I wonder whether the man on the top of the hill in the tombs was looking over and whether from his vantage point at the top of the hill, in his chaos, ripping out of his chains, covered in scars, could he see the storm brewing up on the lake? Could he see the boat coming through? Could he see the man stand up in the boat And speak to the storm and the storm calm right in front of his eyes. 
Did he see that coming? Did he know that his rescuer was coming in the boat as he looked out over the lake that day? It doesn't say that in the text, but I wonder. These are the kind of questions that have come up in my mind as I've been thinking about this story. The first thing that he does is he runs down the hill, he propels himself, and he falls at Jesus' feet. The disciples had such trouble figuring out Jesus' response to the first storm, the storm on the lake. They didn't understand. They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This man, in complete chaos, thrown out on the outskirts of the city, possessed by evil spirits, he recognized Jesus as soon as he stepped off the boat. And he ran down the hill, threw himself at his feet, and said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This was the second storm arriving, the storm, the battle for a human soul, which God always seems to prize as more important than meteorological stuff, as far as we can see. This guy was living in complete chaos. A couple of weeks ago, I went to visit a man living in complete chaos, He had to leave the room several times during the appointment to go and visit the bathroom. He was drinking heavily before the appointment. He tried to come in with his bottle of booze and the support worker asked him to leave it at the door. His mind wasn't rational. His words were direct and powerful and the first thing that he said to me was, you're a Christian, why does your God let people suffer? Then he said, why was Jesus' first miracle to turn water into wine? That was a cruel miracle. (laughs) And I said to him, is that because you're suffering? You know, is, is alcohol a problem for you? And he agreed that it was. And the interaction was a strange one. But what struck me was that in this unguarded mind, in this chaotic situation, he recognized me and he spoke to my faith position. If you like, he recognized Jesus in me as soon as we interacted, and that's what he wanted to focus on. And sometimes what we see in compassionate work is that people in chaos can recognize more than we can. Maybe they can recognize more than the disciples could at that moment. Something about the fear and the unguarded mind and recognizing Christ. So how does Jesus deal with this situation of this man propelling himself to fall at Jesus' feet? The first thing he does is he asks the man's name. This is really significant because Jesus wants to relate to the man. He wants the man to describe who he is. You could say he's asking his name or he's asking the man's nature. What's your nature? Who are you? And the first thing the man says is, my name is Legion. The man doesn't actually tell us his name at all in the passage, which many other passages, we do hear the people's names. When he opens his mouth, it's the problem that speaks, first of all. And often when we're working with people in chaotic situations, it's the problem that speaks first. They open their mouth and out comes the problem. This was the guy's problem, that his name was Legion. But Jesus still asks him, He sees the man covered in scars who hasn't been held down by these chains. He's been outside the city for years. He's naked. He comes running to him. And the first thing that Jesus does is ask his name. This is his compassionate response to the chaos. What's your name? 
It's such a simple thing. It's so human, so unassuming, so loving, so compassionate. The man didn't even have clothes on, but Jesus asked his name, giving him dignity as soon as he meets him. And I think that's something we can learn as we work with people in chaos, to give dignity and to not assume that we know the problem, but to let the problem speak, let the person speak. A book I've been reading recently... It's called Poverty Safari. I don't know if any of you have come across it. It came out last year. It's by a guy called Darren McGarvey, and he grew up in the tenements in um, Glasgow. Um, He came from a really dysfunctional background. He's not a Christian. It's not a Christian book. It's about poverty in the UK, and it really is fascinating for anyone who's interested in that kind of thing. It's an easy read as well. It's stories. He says that people who are in a dysfunctional situation, particularly people who are born into poverty, that stress, in a positive setting, stress can be a catalyst for action, a motivator, or a temporary state of discomfort. But for those living in poor social conditions, perhaps growing up in subcultures of aggression or abuse, Stress is all-consuming. It's the soup everyone is swimming in all of the time, and stress is the lens through which all of life is viewed. If you live in conditions of constant strain of the sort associated with poverty, you will always be in a state of hypervigilance, both mentally and physically, and stress begins to alter your physiological state. I found it really just really good to be reading this guy's stuff and just thinking about what it is that's going on if you're in a dysfunctional state. Um, It's a gripping story, isn't it, this story that Mark tells. I really like it. The more I read it, the more I kind of see into it. And one section, which is almost humorous, really, is where the um, evil spirits are allowed to go into the pigs. They beg to be go, go into the pigs rather than leave the area. And 2,000 pigs dash into the water and are drowned. Now, Jesus, the hero of the story, is really the ultimate pragmatist, isn't he? He lets the spirits enter the pigs. He doesn't own these pigs. He doesn't even ask who owns the pigs. I think of it that, you know, we can see that this wasn't a Jewish area, really, because they're keeping pigs by the side of the lake. I like to think of it as possibly a Greek area. I grew up in Cyprus, and I know that Greek people are very precious about their pork. They really like suvlagi, sheftalia, aphelia, gyros. Pork's really important. There's a lot of wealth wrapped up in rearing pigs and in your pork. And if Greek people saw Jesus releasing a herd of pigs into the lake, that would be a lot of money gone. You know, 2,000 pounds or 2,000 pigs, I don't know how much that would actually be. So Jesus makes this reckless decision to let the evil spirits go into the pigs and the pigs run into the lake. And the swine herders were shocked. I mean, I'm shocked. Jesus, in order to save a man, ruins someone else's livelihood. I've put here that saving a man is an expensive business. And I was thinking about some of you who work in the NHS or in education. Saving a person is an expensive business, isn't it? Supporting a life, life support machines, all the people that come into play when you need to save a life. I know Theo knows about that in his work. Saving a man is an expensive business. And the swine herders were shocked. And sometimes... 
We can learn that a compassionate act in a chaotic situation requires an act of reckless pragmatism. This man, Jesus says, was worth more than these 2,000 pigs. Saving a man from a storm is an expensive business. And I think we learn that in our work here. When the storm was over, if we read back through the story, it says that Jesus sat with the man. The swine herders wanted to let everybody know what this crazy man was doing, sending their pigs into a lake. So they ran off. And it says, it's really interesting if you read the passage, it says, they ran off all over the countryside to tell everybody about this man who'd sent the pigs into the lake. And what did Jesus do? He sat with the chaotic man who was now fully clothed and in his right mind. I want to know what they talked about and how long they sat there, because if these swineherders were running around the countryside, then they must have been sitting there for a little while chatting. It also says that the man was now fully clothed and in his right mind. So where did the clothes come from? Any ideas? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a puzzle to me. Did they borrow some clothes from the disciples? Did Jesus lend him something that extra that he was wearing? The man was clothed and sitting in his right mind. And how long did they sit? We don't know. But it's beautiful, isn't it? It's like the storm on the lake. When Jesus had calmed the storm on the lake, there was peace on the lake. And after this storm of the chaotic man who'd propelled himself down to Jesus' feet and Jesus had healed him and cast out the demon, then there's peace and the two sit side by side. I think of it a bit like if you've had a toddler who has a tantrum and they're raging and, you know, raging on the floor or whatever, or you're holding them. And then once that episode is over, there's a time of complete silence and peace and you sit and there isn't really much else to say but you sit side by side and that's something that we can learn in our compassionate work with other people that sometimes it's enough to sit by side by side once the storm is over at the end of this story is a dramatic one we've got people from the area who are afraid of Jesus now that he's done this act and he's ruined their livelihoods and he sent the pigs into the sea and they're asking him to leave they all say can you just leave now I mean we know you saved this man but can you just leave now because you're too unpredictable dangerous you know you're clearly putting people above our livelihoods and above our pigs um, and they ask Jesus to leave so Jesus starts to get ready to leave but the man who's been healed, who's now in his right mind and clothed, he tries to get into the boat. He wants to go with Jesus. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I would. He's just met Jesus. Jesus has changed his whole life. His circumstances are completely changed. He's clean. He's calm. And Jesus says, get in the boat. Jesus doesn't say, get in the boat. Jesus says to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. So Jesus has put some boundaries in place. And I think that's helpful for us. In a chaotic situation, you need to tell the person 
that there's a boundary here, and that's what Jesus says. He says, you're not coming with me. You're not getting in the boat. This guy has clearly become a follower of Jesus through Jesus' act. He's recognized him. He's clean. He's been shown mercy. He's ready to get on with his new life. And Jesus asked him to stay. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus might have asked him to stay is because Jesus knows he's not going to be going back to that area again in a hurry. The people have chased him out of there. So this man gets to go back and tell people what Jesus has done. And as he goes to tell his story, it says that everybody in the area was amazed by his story. This act of compassion and the life set free speaks of the love of God. The shape of this story is a bit like the shape of stories that we see at the food bank and at CAP. We see a crisis that comes in like a great big storm. We help to clean up the mess. We see the peace descend, and then often, that's all we know, and we move on to help the next person. We don't always see the end of every story. Those working in the food bank don't see the end of every story. Those working in A&E in the NHS don't see the end of every story. But we're following Jesus in this, He didn't even see the end of every story in his time. He saw the man, the cleaned up man, in his clothes, and he left him to go and tell his story, and then he got back in the boat and went over the lake. The storm had passed, and Jesus sailed off back across the lake. Just when I've been thinking about this, just thinking about, you know, what does this say for us? What... What do we need to do? We're not Jesus. How can we have, how can we see what he sees? How can we think how he thinks? It says in Luke 6, 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. So, so who shall I be merciful to? So how much mercy shall I give? How do I know what to do? I'm not Jesus. How about showing mercy at work or mercy at home? Which one do I choose How about my family? I'm a mum. I have children. Do I give all my mercy to other people at work and not have any at home? As I've been thinking about this, I keep coming back to the idea of the compassionate mind of Christ. So if we look at Romans 12 too, I've got it up there. It says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern the will of God. I think really that's the key. You know, this takes time. This isn't a quick switch on mind of God. I know what to do. I know what to think. This is about learning to see as God sees people, learning to listen as God listens to people, learning when to act, which situation, and how to act. We won't know that if we're not being transformed. I can speak to you about my role with CAP, about my compassionate work that I do, But you need to think about your work, where you are and what you do, your home situation, your volunteering, the things that you're doing. You need to learn about being like Jesus would in a situation with the mind of Christ. Thinking, as God does, doesn't happen quickly. It takes time, experience, and a desire to have your mind transformed and to think, to think through issues, to understand what God sees I think just something to mention to us here as a church, we're involved in a lot of compassionate ministries, whether that's at work, being a teacher, 
working in a school, being a mum, whatever you do, as well as the stuff we do at church, the volunteering. In our compassionate ministries, we can suffer from compassion fatigue. I think it's really real. I've been reading a book by Henry Nguyen. By the way, I like to have a stack of books with me. Our family, we all feel safe if we have a stack of books with us, so I'll bring that. So Henry Nguyen, in his book on compassion, he says that the answer to becoming numb, you know, when you've watched the media a lot and you've seen the news and you've seen the horror stories and you think, I just don't feel anything anymore, that the answer to being bombarded with these horror stories and feeling numb about the world is proximity to people again. That's an answer. When information about human suffering comes to us through a person who can be embraced, it's humanized. I'm just thinking about um, some Syrian refugees who've moved in on our street and we're getting to know them. And just hearing their stories over a cup of coffee, in their lounge, playing with their children, starting to learn about them has made me more compassionate about the situation in Syria. I don't really watch the news because it's too much for me to take in. Other people can handle different things. If you can't feel anything anymore and you don't feel compassionate, then switch off the news. Go and meet a person, whether it's on your street or whoever it is, who's in a difficult situation and listen to their story with God's ears, with God's eyes. We've all got it. When you belong to Jesus, he starts to transform your mind and your ears and your eyes. Try to listen to a story through God's ears and eyes. And as God will help you to listen, then you start to hear what the person's actually saying and what their issue is. And you'll find that you start to feel things again. I'm just going to end by talking about communities of compassion. And when we talked about putting on the mind of Christ, it's very much about what we need to do on our own, in our mind, how we do that, and starting to learn about how God sees and how God hears. But I just want to help you to relax about this, because this isn't about me going off and changing the world. It's not about you going off and changing the world. It's about working as a community of compassion here in Skipton, here where we are. Another thing that Henry Nguyen says is that one compassionate person dies out, but a community of compassion thrives. Imagine if Phil tried to lift all of those kilos of tins on her own. She couldn't. She could not run the food bank on her own. I mean, she's pretty amazing, but she would burn out. We're finite, and our compassion is finite. And I believe that the church is a compassionate community because the work of compassion here is shared. The community becomes a mediator between our weak selves and the world outside as we act together using the mind of Christ and being transformed by the Spirit of God. Especially when you see churches working together right across Skipton, right? It's even more a compassionate community. I'll just read you a bit from this book from Henry Nguyen. In the Christian community, we gather in the name of Christ and thus experience him in the midst of a suffering world. 
There are old, weak minds which are unable fully to perceive the pains of the world, are transformed into the mind of Christ, to whom nothing human is alien. In community, we are no longer a mass of helpless individuals, but are transformed into one people of God. In community, our fears and anger are transformed by God's unconditional love, and we become gentle manifestations of his boundful, boundless compassion. In community, our lives become compassionate lives because in the way we live and work together, God's compassion becomes present in the midst of a broken world. So what does that look like in reality? You know, that is me working with you. It's me coming to you when I need healing and you praying for my healing and my brokenness. And it's me doing the same for you. And it's that as we act together as a church and then we go out to serve the broken world around us, we're being restored, we're being renewed, we're being covered. I've got your back, you've got my back. We're going out to be Jesus' hands and feet. It's no mistake that Jesus talks about us being his body. That doesn't mean that I am one body and Jesus is one body. It means that we can go and do that compassionate work that he does. Otherwise, it's pretty frightening and scary, isn't it? If we try to tackle it on our own and then we burn out, and that's not what we're here to do. I'm just going to leave you with a story. Um, It's just a simple story, really, but I was in the office the other day and there was somebody ringing on the doorbell. It was a woman who I recognized as the mother of one of my CAP clients. Now... The, the guy I'm going to talk about, he's not, you know, not a very nice person. He's quite unboundaried, quite unpleasant, a bit messy. And there was his mother standing there. And she said, I want you to help me. I need to le- learn to read and write. I need a job. And I asked her to come in, and I explained that we'd helped her son, but with his debt issues. We didn't really teach people to read and write at our church. And she said, I just needed some help. And I knew that you helped my son, and I wondered if you could help me. I didn't know where else to go. So I sat down with her, and I looked up some literacy courses in the area, and we talked about different things that might help. But it just struck me, walking away from that situation, that as we, the church, grow in our compassionate ministries, people will hear about what we've done, And sometimes they'll come with their problem, like this man came running down the hill to Jesus and his problem spoke. And this happened to Jesus all the time. He had constant interruptions in his day of people coming with their problem and interrupting what he was doing with their needs and their aches and pains. Or there, you've helped my son, can you help me? And I just thought, you know, we need to be aware of these people who are going to start coming. You know, people are coming now. Phil and I see that every day. You've seen that when you're walking out on the streets on a Saturday morning. People are hearing about this compassionate ministry that's going on in Skipton. And we need to be ready. The problem might not always look like something that you can help with. I couldn't help the lady with her reading and writing. Well, I didn't think I could. But I could sit and listen to what the real problem was. What did she need, really? And where could I point her to? Which direction could I point her in? And I think that's just, you know, something for us to be aware of as we grow in our compassionate ministries. People will come. People will be drawn. We've had lots of stories recently of people being drawn 
not even knowing why they're being drawn here. But as you are acting as Jesus in your community, people will be drawn and they'll be interrupting what you're doing and you need to be ready just to listen. What's your name? What's the problem? Sit down. Who are you? And talk it through. That's me for today, but I'll just finish with praying for us as a community. Father, we just thank you so much for this church. Thank you for all of the works of compassion that go on here, for the food bank, for the luncheon club, for the children's groups, for the home groups. Thank you for those who work in schools and in the NHS and other places, in compassionate ministries who come to our church for healing, for prayer, for community. I just pray that you would make us more like Jesus in the things that we do and the way we communicate and respond to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.